Welcome back to the Marnie Blick Tapes. This is part two of a case, so if you're coming in now, we highly recommend you go check out the first part of this case, the one we've dubbed The Brutal Burning at Star Cinema. And if you listened to part one, welcome back. Where we left off. Marnie and Finn are investigating an arsonist attack on a small cinema that left four people dead. The victims were Morris Floyd, Elena Machado, Jacob Bronstein, and his daughter, Anne Bronstein. Marnie was contacted with the case by Morris Floyd's sister, Gemma Haney. She felt that more could be still done to discover the truth about what happened. What's challenging in a case like this is that there isn't one clear target. Either the perpetrator wanted one of the people in attendance dead and didn't care about the collateral deaths, or they didn't care about any of the victims and just wanted to start a fire. Or maybe they wanted all four of these people specifically dead. At this point in the case, we just don't know. So far, Marnie has discovered that one of the victims, Morris Floyd, had recently been in a serious dispute with his younger brother, Rene Floyd. Renee had been out of town when Finn started conducting interviews, but then Finn had gotten a tip from Renee's neighbor that Renee might be back in his apartment. Finn rushed over there to finally talk to Renee, only to find Renee Floyd slumped on his couch, dead. And that's where we'll jump back in with Marnie and Finn. Now, this recording is something we actually found that's a little strange, how Marnie records even these offhand conversations with Finn. We don't know if it's just out of habit, or maybe she thinks it's valuable to record even these just in case Finn says something that sparks an idea. person Marnie wants to talk to now is Gemma Haney, the sister of Morris Floyd and Renee Floyd, both of whom are now dead. Only one problem. Gemma has left town. She left a message for Marnie stating that she needed a break, that losing Renee got to her, and that she was going to take a few days out of town to mourn. But all this did was set off a whole new set of red flags for Marnie. So Marnie goes digging into the Floyd family. Turns out, there's a sizable Floyd estate left to Morris, Renee, and Gemma by their parents, who back in their day were extremely wealthy landowners. We couldn't find the exact number, but the value of the estate seems to be somewhere upwards of $14 million and under $20 million. A good chunk of change. Apparently, the bulk of that was set to be split between the three sometime next year. We found it weird that their parents would wait till their kids were well into their 50s before allowing them to touch their inheritance. But in a way, I guess it makes some sense. 
It ensures a safety net while also making sure that you aren't relying on that money to go live your own life. Of course, now we have a pretty massive motive to the tune of a couple million dollars. With Floyd dead to the fires, Renee and Gemma would have been splitting the entire estate between themselves. And now with Renee gone to the overdose, all of it would go to Gemma. But Gemma is the one who called Marnie in the first place. Why would she call a detective as capable as Marnie Blick to investigate something that she herself did? Well, we've seen this sort of thing happen in a few of Marnie's cases. For whatever reason, it wasn't uncommon for people who committed these heinous crimes to seek Marnie out, almost as if they either wanted to be found out and wanted people to know about their work, or because they wanted to outsmart Marnie Blick herself, as if they were playing a game. We aren't psychologists, but there is definitely something very weird about drawing that kind of attention to a crime you committed. Marnie had Finn attend Renee's funeral, where he was able to get the contact information of Hannah Chandler, Renee's on and off girlfriend. This is who Marnie wants to talk to next. Hey, Hannah. Hello. Hey, my name is Marnie Blick. I'm the detective. I think my assistant spoke to you. Oh, yeah. Hi. Is now a good time? Um, yeah, actually, that's great. Okay. Um, before we start, is it okay if I record this call for our records? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> okay, so, first of all, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. We didn't get to speak to Renee, but, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. Thank you. It's, uh... It is what it is. So Finn, um, Finn is who you spoke to. Right. Finn told me that you had a few things you wanted to talk through with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do I, what should I start with? Uh, when's the last time you saw him? Oh, actually, wait. Uh, so the day of the fire? Yeah. Renee wasn't involved with that at all. Okay. Uh, what makes you say that? He was with me and some friends. We were doing it. We were hanging out. Where was this? Here. My place in Hornlow. Where's that? It's like five hours north. And Renee was there? Yes. All day? All week. All weekend till we found out about what happened. Uh, and, and then? Renee came down. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So you feel pretty certain that there's no way Renee started that fire? No way. Even if he would ever do something like that, which he wouldn't. He was here the whole time. It couldn't have been him. Okay. And uh, your friends, could I talk to them? Yeah, of course. Uh, okay, I have their info. Ready when you are. Marnie gets the names and numbers of everyone who would have been with Renee and Hannah That's that day. really helpful, actually. Thanks. Um, I'll just double-check with them. Of course. Thank you. Was there anything else you wanted to talk through with me, specifically? Yeah, so, Renee's sister, Gemma, uh -huh. I'm guessing she's the one who told you to look into Renee, right? We're looking at anyone who could have had anything to do with the attack. Right, well, um, she's been horrible to Renee for years. She treated him like shit, shunned him for not being exactly like what... Like the kind of person you're supposed to be or whatever in that family? You mean Renee's issues with addiction? Sure, but not just that. It was 
everything. She treated him like he was less than, like less than human, and she just, it's just, it was bad. Renee told you this? Yeah, but uh, I also saw it, too, firsthand. At an event, like, <clears throat> two years ago, she pretended he didn't exist. Like, out of a movie. How so? Like, she just saw him as a disgrace to the family, which is so pathetic as if anyone cared. Did Renee ever talk to you about Morris? Yes. And I think they got along better than Renee and Gemma did. They did have a dispute, um... Or an argument before Morris died, though? Wasn't that right? Yeah, uh, yeah, but it wasn't that big a deal. No? Not really. I mean, money wasn't going to be a problem after the estate transferred over to the three of them. Renee knew that. Got it. So you're saying you believe that maybe Gemma had something to do with this? I, I just wouldn't be surprised at all. Okay. Well, we're going to keep looking into all of this. There's still no sign of Gemma, and that's who Marnie needs to talk to more than anyone else. Gemma is still the only person who has something to gain. Something huge to gain, actually. In the meantime, Marnie wanted Finn to check back in with Christian Maddich, Anne Bronstein's boyfriend. They met at the same coffee place, and Marnie wrote down a bunch of specific questions for Finn to ask. It's been better. Good. What about Renee Floyd? You found him, right? Um, yeah, we did. Damn. Poor guy had an addiction issue. So... <clears throat> For sure. Just sucks, I guess. A lot of that around here. Yeah. Okay, so I, um... Here. I have some more specific things I'm gonna ask you. Yeah, okay. anything. It's not much? Yeah, for sure. Um... So first, did you ever did you ever meet Anne's dad, Jacob Bronstein? Uh, yeah, I did. Once, twice, maybe once. Okay. I think once. Uh huh. What was he like? He was cool. Um, pretty chill guy. Did he seem like inviting to the idea of you dating his daughter? I know that can be weird sometimes for a parent, you know. Yeah, no, no, he was, he was chill, super chill. Mm. What were you doing when you met him? Um, we, I was picking up Anne. We were, uh, heading over to a friend's house to hang out. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, uh, Christian, we touched on this before, but I really need you to think, if you can. Was there anyone, anybody at all, who may have felt like Anne crossed him somehow? Uh, I, 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 like, I really can't think of anything man the, mm. there was never anything she did that i would have gone in anyone's way she was nice to everyone man <sighs> she was perfect man, she was perfect it's uh hey take 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 your time yeah yeah it's just like ironic. We, we had done, we had just done Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, right? And that's like the ultimate love story. 
And then that's the last thing she saw there. And Mrs. Machado there. Fuck, it's tough. It's, it's like she was Juliet and I was Romeo. <laughs> so stupid. Hey, man, hey. It's okay. Okay. You know what? Yeah, let's put a pin in it for now. It's fine. We can keep these things short. I think that's best. And okay. That's all, yeah. Thanks again for coming out. Everything that you were telling us is helping. Yeah, it, it's no problem for me. School is right here. Finally, an update. Gemma Haney is back in town. Marnie wastes no time in trying to get a hold of her. Now, unfortunately, this recording was in really bad shape. It's basically unintelligible. We tried making out what was being said, but we're relying mostly on Marnie's notes to actually know what happened. From what we can tell, Marnie called Gemma and pressed her about her relationship with Renee. She asked about the estate, and Gemma got somewhat heated. She insists that the money is irrelevant to her, that her share of the estate was already more than she ever needed, and that she would never hurt her brothers. When Marnie asks where she was the day that Renee died, she said she was at home, alone. So she doesn't have a concrete alibi. Marnie notes that she actually doesn't think that Gemma has had anything to do with any of the deaths. So, Marnie was forced back to the drawing board. She had to find another angle and decided to expand the search for potential places where the perpetrator could have bought the kerosene from. This is painstaking work, contacting every store that sold kerosene in an increasingly larger and larger radius, getting transaction receipts from each store, finding the items sold, all of that. But that's the kind of effort Marnie would put into cases regularly. Once she started something, it was next to impossible for her to quit. So Marnie figured the perpetrator would know that one large purchase of kerosene would be too easy to trace. And that could be why they bought them in smaller increments. The police had already contacted all the local and surrounding stores, but any purchase of multiple cans of kerosene hadn't led to any viable suspects. The kerosene canisters used in the attack were left at the crime scene. Three 32-ounce canisters of Coleman's kerosene, all completely emptied during the attack. Like we've heard before, in her notes, Marnie writes that only Morris Floyd would have been easy to predict being at the theater. So it's likely that if the intended victim was anyone else, the perpetrator would have had to either already have the kerosene, or would have had to source the materials very fast after finding out their victim was going to be at the cinema. And so, after collecting all the information, all the data points, Marnie gets to work, trying to make sense of it. A few days later, we have an update in the case. Marnie has found something. Yeah, what's up? All right, so I've been going through all the receipts we got back. Uh Uh-huh. I found three purchases of the kerosene used at three different stores. They were made the morning of the attack. But I need you to make sure the timing works out to know if it could have been the same person. Okay, I got you. So, so you want me to drive from spot to spot and see if they match? And... Yeah, and make sure the time difference between the purchases lines up. Cool, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
Great. Okay, the first one is out in Brownsville. Let me get you the address. Okay. So Finn heads out to the first store. It's a small outdoor supply store. Can you go in and ask if they have any security footage? Here's the thing. I I, I don't see any cameras outside, but I'll, I'll go check and make sure. Okay. Yep, thank you. Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you back. Hey, no, no security cameras. Oh, good. All right. Uh, head to the next one, the Home Depot in Marbath. Could you shoot me that address? Yep. Give me one second. Thanks. Finn gets to the next door. Okay. Cool. That works out time-wise. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, can you check with them about the footage again? Yeah, I'll, I'll call you right back. Okay. No luck. Damn. Um, okay. The last spot is a gas station back towards town. Alright, gotcha. Okay, if you get there within about 12 minutes, then this all checks out. 12 minutes, okay. Got it. Okay, head down the highway and then pull off at the first gas station you see. Uh, it's that one. Got it. First first one I'll see. Yeah, call me back when you get there. Got it. Here, in time. See that? Yeah. Okay, this worked out. Uh, whoever bought these three cans of kerosene could have just bought a bigger one at the first store. And it's pretty unlikely three different people bought these in the exact same time it takes to get from one to the other. It still could be, but, I mean, we'll see. So, uh... Nice. Yeah, uh, let's see if this place has the security cameras. It should. I feel like gas stations do, like normally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but let's just check. Hey. Hey. Uh, they do, and they keep the footage for six months. Six months, right? Yeah, six months. Awesome. Okay, um, can we look at the footage? Hey, man, can we look at the, the footage, like, go through with you? Yeah. Yeah, we can. Okay, great. So let me just call you back in just one second. Okay, great. Hey, I'm here with... What was your name again, man? Uh, Jeff. I'm here with Jeff. He's got the security footage, and he's going to be taking us through everything. Awesome. Uh, what was the day you were looking for? I'm looking for November 3rd of last year. Got it. Let's see. November, November 3rd. Got it. What time? Uh, Mark, what time? Um, the purchase was made at 10.43 a.m. Before and after 10.43 a.m. Okay, uh, give me a second. Yeah, uh, take your time. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, 10, 10.30, 10.40. That's good. Play it from here? Uh, please. Okay, let me know what you're saying. Okay, yeah, um... Okay, someone just parked. I can't make out the plates. <sighs> uh, but it's a gray hatchback. It's uh, maybe a Toyota. Gray hatchback. Okay. They're getting out of the car. I can't. Can you see them? Yeah, okay. They're heading inside now. They're wearing uh, sunglasses, a white hat, gray hoodie. Uh, the pants are uh, like baggy, baggy pants. Okay. It's going inside. Do you, an, do you have an angle inside, Jeff? No, sorry, we only have the one. Got it. Yeah, no worries, no problem. Uh, can we fast forward to him coming out? Yeah, for sure. Great. Okay, there, there. 
Yes, it's the same person. Different hat, different hoodie. Do you sell those? Mm, let me take a look. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, well, we'll sell those. We sold those last year. That's a cowboy's cap, right? Yeah, uh, we always carry merch from, like, whatever Team won the Super Bowl. That's definitely the person seen at the cinema. That's what Irene described, yeah. exactly. Yep, all right, good work. Um, okay, I think I got something. I'm going to call you back in a bit. Uh, go ahead and head back to town. Yeah, you got it. Great, Jeff. Thank you. Bye. Marnie did indeed figure something out. She traced the path the attacker would have taken between the three stores they bought the kerosene at backwards to a place where one person they had spoken to lived and worked. That, coupled with some deep suspicions Marnie already had, made Marnie feel pretty certain that they had their arsonist, even without any hard evidence yet. Sometimes confronting someone and seeing how they react was the best course of action. And so, Marnie had Finn meet with who she believes to be the person behind the attack that left those four people dead. Oh, that's the car. All right, cool. Just um, keep me on the line for now. Oh, okay. Yeah, sounds good. Hey, Christian. Hey, man. What's up? Uh, we've got some updates, and maybe you can help us out. Uh, for sure. I've got Marnie Blick on the line. She would like to talk to you, if that's okay. Hello? Hey, Christian. What's up? Look, we know it was you. What? Yeah, we know it was you. Okay, we know what you were wearing. We know where you changed. We know where you went. We know you well, went to three different stores to get the kerosene. Okay, we yeah, have that no, on tape. I, I was at work. No, you weren't. You slipped off. You were supposed to be at work, but you left. What was it exactly? No, no I... Did Anne's dad for a bit again, to be with I, her? I didn't have anything to do with that. You didn't know Anne was going to be there, did you? What? Right? Of course I... But you killed four people. I, I... And you killed Anne. I I swear. It wasn't me. Okay, we know the hat that you were wearing. The sweater. We know why you bought the kerosene. That just... That just straight up wasn't me. I'm, I'm not even a Cowboys fan. I didn't say anything about the Cowboys, Christian. Okay, do the right thing. Turn yourself in. Finn will go with you. You can fix this. Christian... That wasn't me. Christian. Hey! Stop! What's going on? Finn! Fuck. Finn. No, he's running. He's running? Okay, follow him. I'm gonna call the police. No. No, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Okay, I'll call you back. Hey, he's pulling up to a warehouse. Where? Um... Off Sainsbury and uh, Brook Street. Okay. Um, in in Brownsville, then. Yeah. Yes. He's getting out. 
you go to Fallon's then? Yeah, I am. All right, we have cops on the way. Cool. Are you sure? Okay. He, he went to the warehouse here. The warehouse on the front has a, a big yellow circle. It's faded, but it's huge. You can't miss it. Okay. Uh, just be careful. If, if you're feeling in danger, you can just back out and wait, okay? Uh, how long till the cops get here, Mar? I don't know, um, but they're on their way. Uh, ETA, anything? Uh, how long until you get there? It's okay, I'm going in. Uh, okay. Christian! Christian! Got a bunch. He looks like he's he's like covering himself in uh, gasoline. I think he's gonna light himself up. I try to stop him. Hey, dude! Christian, look at me, man. Ugh. It's okay. You don't have to do this. Just put it down. Dude, trust me. It's okay. You did what you did, but you can make up for it another way. <laughs> Face justice. <laughs> hey, hey. Why? Hey, hey, Christian. Look at me, man. Please, please leave. I'm not going to leave. Please, please. I want you to talk to Marty, okay? No, you're not. Dude, if you're going to do this, okay. But what's another two minutes, am I right? Marty. Christian. Christian, listen. Whatever you do now, you have choices. You made one really bad one, but a lot of what you did was an accident, and we know that. There's still something you can do that you can redeem and work on. I know you reserved all the other seats in the cinema because you didn't want anyone else to get hurt, right? It's all right, man. Hey, just hand me the letter. Please. Good. Christian, they're not going to hurt you. I promise you that. Alright, they're coming in right now. I'll call you back later. So... Christian Maddich was apprehended by the police, and he almost instantly confessed to having started the fire at Star Cinema. He had been out for revenge on Jacob Bronstein for humiliating him in front of Anne. And yeah, there isn't really much for us to clarify here, since Marty did so much of it on tape. But once Marty tracked the kerosene purchases to the town Christian lived and worked in, she felt that a hunch she had already made note of was being realized. Something Christian said in his second interview with Finn made Marnie really suspicious of him. In an earlier interview, Daniel Bronstein, Anne's brother, had been really adamant about there being no way their dad would have been okay with Anne dating. But Christian said he had met the dad, and that he was cool and nice. That just didn't add up to Marnie. And sure enough, in his confession, Christian told investigators that Jacob Bronstein had forbidden him from dating Anne. Mr. Bronstein had humiliated Christian in front of Anne. Christian was now looking for revenge. 
Maybe that's also why he felt like the Romeo and Juliet analogy was somewhat applicable. One thing that confused us a little bit is that Christian insisted that he didn't know Anne was at the cinema. He must have just missed her going in. And just maybe, if he had seen her there, all of this could have been avoided. And at least four of the five people who died during the course of this case could have lived. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Marnie Blake Tapes. As always, we appreciate your feedback, so please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, at Antonius Nazareth, and at Nicholas M. Sato. Also, you can send us an email at themarnieblicktapes at gmail.com. You can help us out by leaving a review to this podcast wherever you're listening, and do spread the word about what we're doing over here. It's very much appreciated. Or if you have the ability and desire... Look us up on patreon.com slash themarnieblicktapes. Every dollar counts, and it will help us improve as we move forward. Editing by Nicholas Sato and Antonius Nazareth. Music by Antonius Nazareth. And special thanks to Mallory Blick and Daisy 